Well, this is supposed to be youth emphasis night, and that puts a little bit of a scare into me. I'm not sure I know how to relate uh, to youth very well, excepting I'm trying to think. I was one once. I can remember portions of that and how it went. I have the advantage because I was a youth once, and they've never been old like me. None of these kids scattered mostly over here, but there's a few over here, and there's ain't none hardly over here. <laughs> no, there's, there's a few uh, kid, uh, young people all scattered through, but they, they've yet to experience what it's like to be old. I've told this, maybe you've heard it. I remember when it really struck me, Barry Arnold, that, that I was old. Our singer reminded me of it tonight in the back before the service, because he's heard me tell it, some of you have as well, but we, Rachel and I go down, down to our camp meeting in Sun City as often as we can in January, and February is a good time to be in Florida, in my humble opinion, but uh, we go down there, and when we go down there, in, in between times, we like to go to some thrift stores down there, and there's one especially we like to go to, that's only uh, from like 8 o'clock in the morning till noon, uh, twice a week, twice a week. So when we're down there, uh, I like to go, and once in a while my wife will come along. And so I can remember I was trying to get her, come on, let's go, let's go, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Women, whenever you know you're going to go somewhere and you want to go somewhere, women are slow. And so finally she got, and we got down there, and, and you want to go in because this place is in the back of a little strip mall, and, and the place is stretched out. It's got a lot of doors go into different sections according to what your interests are. She likes to go into the door that goes into the section where there's kitchen stuff, pots and pans and bowls and glasses and linens and tablecloths and things like that, and then clothes. I like to go to the far door over here, that has tools, tools, because no matter how many tools you got, you always need one more crooked screwdriver, one more rusty pair of pliers. And so I wanted to go there. And so I, we got there. You got to get there. You, you want to be there first so that you can get in first. But today, after we got there, after I got her in the car and got there, here... When I went to go toward my direction, I got behind an old timer. <laughs> now listen, I'm not making, I am a little bit, I'm not, I'm not trying to make over much fun of old age. But here he was, all bent over and stowed up, and, and the way he was walking... I, I couldn't get around him. And I detected he's going to my door. And I couldn't get around him. And he was talking to himself. And, and he was saying, oh, I don't feel good. He didn't look good. <laughs> he said, I don't feel good. I, I wanted to go to the doctor, but the doctor wasn't in and couldn't see me. So I come here. I said, oh, good, 
good, but I couldn't get around him and took forever to get to the door. But when he got to the door, he went to the right, so I went to the left. And I got in there, and I'm looking at little bins of tools and looking for that screwdriver that has the right bend to it that you can screw a screw around the corner. And I'm not paying any attention. I've, I've doubted this one aisle looking in these bins. And all of a sudden, excuse me, excuse me. And here I hadn't seen her. Here's a woman with the widest walker that I think I've ever seen. And, and I'm sort of in her way, so I scrunch up. To the bin, and the walker scrapes me as she goes by. And then, bless her heart, she's as wide as her walker. And she scrapes me as she goes by. And, and Brother Jeff, I'm getting a little bit tickled. I'm thinking, boy, you know, I'm here with this, these kind of people. You know, this is sort of my element now. In, in this stage of my life. And then I look up. And here at the bin, where I'm sorting and stuff, there's a little mirror. I hadn't noticed it. <laughs> I looked up and saw myself. And here in my haste to go out, I had misbuttoned my shirt. I one time told it, said I think I'd missed about six, six buttons, but it wasn't that many because John, my boy John's a big critic. And he said, Dad, if you'd done that, the bottom button would have been to the top and that would have been way I killed it. But it must have been two or three and here it was all screw hard and there I was and walking around that way and I thought, sure enough, this, this is my people. That, that's when I began to realize I'm old, and, and I got so tickled when I realized, and, and semi-depressed, semi-depressed with being tickled, that I just left the store and walked out into the parking lot, and my wife saw me walking toward the car. She said, you ready to go? I said, yeah, I am, and, and we went. But that was one of the first realizations that I had that, uh, you know, I was a teenager once, way back there. But something's happened. I've walked far enough uh, that I'll never be a teenager again. And now here I'm amongst that crowd that's fairly old. The advantage I have over you young people is that you've never been my age. You don't know how exciting it is to be this old. By the way, I'm 74. I tell people that because I had a little urchin come up to me and say, how old are you, Brother Plank? I said, how old do you think I am? This is at Beavertown. And he, he thought, and you could see the smoke coming out of his little hollow head. And after a little bit, he said, 83. <laughs> 83. I kicked him to see the britches and sent him home to his mama. I don't know that I literally did, but in my mind I did. And the trouble is, Brother Ramsey, good to see you. You're, you're old, too. 
Although Brother Ramsey got married again, and I'm telling you, that's put a skip in his heels. No. No, honey, don't get worried. I'm not going to get married again. No, sir, sir. We're in this for the long haul. Oh, my. But anyway, the same week that that little boy come up and asked me how old I was and told me I was 80, 83 or 80, whatever it was, we went with the Beavertown bus to a youth rally. And uh, Rachel and I decided to ride a bus. It's been a long time since we'd rode the bus. And so we wanted to ride the bus. So we're riding the bus. And here sitting kitty-cornered from us up just a seat or two was a older lady that had come into Beavertown. Ouch. And anyway, she'd come into Beavertown. And uh, a nice lady, but uh, she looked around at me, and for some reason she said, Brother Plank, I believe you're older than me. I mean, you know, just uncalled for, but she said, I believe you're older than me. And I looked at her, and I thought, well, well, I hope not. Uh, I said, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, you are. You're, I believe you're older than me. Now listen, my mom taught me a long time ago when I was a young person. Two things you never, listen up, guys. Two things you never ask a woman. Her age or her weight. Okay? So I was always careful with that. But she got on my nerves. She kept saying, I know you're older than me. Remember, I'm quite a few younger, years younger than I am now then, and I told you I'm 74 now. I finally said, all right. I said, how old are you? And she was, I think, 84. And she thought I was older than her. But you couldn't, I couldn't kick her and, and send her home to her mother. So, you know, I got a little depressed about that. But what I'm saying is I've had to own up to the fact that I'm old. But young people, it's not all that bad. I'll tell you what I get with people my age. I listen to some of the things you guys talk. I can't hear them because you're on your phone. That's how you guys talk. You stay in a little semicircle, all of you with a phone. You don't say a word, you just go. And, but back when we did, did talk, and, and for my generation, we get together yet and still talk. And someday you will. And you don't know the exciting things we talk about. Tom, how's your gallbladder? Huh? Well, I shouldn't have used you for the example because you probably would. (laughs) Oh, my, but it's exciting to be around the crowd that I'm with, you know. Oh, yeah, I just had another surgery. Yeah, I got another scar. In fact, I can remember Brother Watson, Fred Watson. He used to tell me, of course, he'd lost his his, uh, arm, lost his hand, and, and, uh, and a lot of other body parts, and he, he told me, so I'm going to heaven in pieces. <laughs> going to heaven in pieces. <laughs> I, it posed a dilemma for me, because I always wonder, what if a guy 
is saved and he loses an arm and the arm goes to heaven. And then what if, Lord forbid, he backslides and loses his appendix. Where does his appendix go? Well, I know that's nonsense. That's crazy stuff. But I thought maybe if I just bring it up tonight, some of the young people can figure it all out. But uh, Fred Watson started that. He said, I'm going to heaven in pieces. And he finally got his wish. He's in heaven, I believe, tonight. Well, it is young people's night. And uh, I thought of uh, a scripture, very familiar scripture, in Second uh, Kings chapter 5. You'll recognize it. And of all things, again, uh, Jeff and Sherry, when you and the family were singing tonight, part of the words that you sang uh, for us was not what I wish to be, nor where I wish to go. Who am I? that I should choose my way. And in this familiar scripture, I would remind you that the Bible says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable. Because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And that last statement about Naaman is why his story is in the Bible. He was a captain, he was a great man, he was honorable, a mighty man in valor, the kind of guy that we'd look up to and and say, you know, is worthy of being a, a hero. But the thing that began to define him was what ailed him. What was wrong with him. All the good things that the Bible says about him and what was wrong with him got your attention. I only say that that way in the beginning, young people, because in your youth, in your youth is when expectation and hope and excitement is generated for what you're going to become. Your abilities, your talents, your your distinctions, your, your uniqueness in some cases is exciting. As, an, as a person 
looking at you from the outside and thinking, what potential? What possibilities in that young man or that young girl? Because you know how adults look at us. Dad and mom look at us. They want to be proud of us. They want us to make it. They want us to turn out right. Friends and neighbors and businessmen, people that you wouldn't even imagine. They'll, they've already got their eye on some of you and think, oh my, there's a young man, there's a young girl. That who knows? Who knows what, where they're going to go? They can see the potential in you. I, I tend to believe that everybody has a measure of that. Now, we don't have the same abilities. We don't have the same personalities. We can't all be as friendly as Jeff Stratton. Wouldn't you love to be if all of us could clone Jeff Stratton? That we could just be as friendly as Jeff. What else do you want me to say, Jeff? I can't remember. (laughs) If we had the talent of some that are sitting amongst us that have, have graced us with their abilities, you know, to pick up a guitar. Oh, a washburn. Mm. Get up to a mic with a guitar. And we've got people here that have done that to us, and God has blessed their talent, and the fact that they've given that talent over to Him, and they have ministered to us, and God has used them. And to me, it's exciting when I see these young people. Many of them I don't know. And because I don't know them, I I don't know much about their personality. I don't know much about their track record. I don't know if they're a scalawag a scoundrel or a prince or a princess. Some of them, the closest they'll ever get to being a prince is a frog. Wasn't there a story about a frog and a prince? Am I right on that? Okay, well, that's close. But I'm saying all that to say that the thing that defined Naaman after all the good things that the Bible says about him, that would be a compliment to any of us that are men, really would, you know, to be a a leader and a great man, honorable, and to be a mighty man in valor. That's sort of the concept we get that a man ought to be. Step to the front. Let's go. We can do it. Follow me. But he was a leper. And the thing that will most hurt and hinder the potential and the possibilities of the group of young people that are here tonight 
if not leprosy as a disease, but leprosy as a sin, if that begins to define us, if with all the good qualities and characters that we have, we start to be known for the little wrongs that we do, Wrong choices, wrong companions, improper attitudes, things that slowly but surely eat away at the, the goodness of our, of our innocence and our character that had it developed and had it submitted to God, God could have taken and out of weakness made strength. And little is much when God is in it. But if the devil can rob us of that and start to dirty or distort or deprave any of the good in us, it becomes our personal leprosy. But you know, in this initial verse of this chapter that describes Naaman, you know, what a shock. And, and to, to a little degree, what a shame for a man like that now as he walks the street amongst his countrymen. They still love him. They still are endeared to him. They still realize the strengths that he has. But in the conversation, they have to say it's, it's too bad about his leprosy. It's too bad that he's a leper. And the thought in that day is that leprosy is not a harmless little thing. But it will continue to encroach. It will continue to envelop him. It will continue to, to empower itself in him. And ultimately it will destroy him. I hate what the devil does to our young people with their life before them. Many of these young people I'm looking at, I know before them yet, is to graduate from school. Someday, maybe even already, there might be a boyfriend or a girlfriend around the corner. Oh, can I remember those days. <laughs> I guess I won't go into that. Oh, I had a terrible heartbreak one time. Young people, if you have a boyfriend, girlfriend break up with you, it is not the end of the world. I know it seems like it is. I know. It seems like you got hit with an atomic bomb. I remember what it was. I, I wrote this girl all summer. This was pre-Rachel. <laughs> Don't worry too much about me. She's heard it before. <laughs> but I had flipped for this little girl from Alabama. She had the accent. She was short. She was cute. And she had that accent. And I flipped over her. 
All summer, when school had let out, we wrote. And later I'd go to the mailbox there along the, the dirt road, and the mailbox, when I touched the lid to open it, was warm. Leonard don't act like he knows what I'm talking about. His wife gets it, but he doesn't. <laughs> well, there's people like that. All summer, those letters came. I'd read them and reread them and reread them. And the end of summer comes. And the mailbox was cool. And in the letter, it was cool. It didn't even smell like the other one's head. By the way, I had an unusual experience today. I went in a thrift store. I don't know if he's here or not, but a guy walked up to me out of the clear. He said, you're a born-again Christian, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. He said, I could smell it. <laughs> I, said, I said, pardon me? He says, no, I can smell them. I thought, only in Lebanon. <laughs> so listen, I don't know what you smell like, but I smell like a born-again Christian. <laughs> Total stranger. Anyway, the, how did I get in that? Anyway, the letter... But it happened. So I called her. That was before cell phones. I had to make a call long distance. Had to pay for it. And we decided we'd, we'd talk it over when we got back to Bible school, back to Hope Sound. We'd talk it over. Well, I had a little bit of hope because I thought, you know, get back there, Brother Jeff, and put on the old farm boy charm. Whatever that smelled like. I could win her back, but of all things, she was late. She was late getting back to school, so I was doing pots and pans, and some of the girls in the back were doing something, and they were looking at a bunch of photographs and Twitter painting about them. And after a while, one of them said, Harry, you ought to see these. You ought to look at these pictures. Well, I wasn't that interested, but I went back, and I looked, and here they were, they were her wedding pictures. That's what I said. <laughs> they were her wedding pictures. I thought, it's over. It's over. I couldn't believe it. And, and she had left me to marry a guy whose last name is Roach. I mean, how do you think that makes a farm boy feel when your girlfriend leaves you for a roach? <laughs> huh? So listen, I'm telling you from experience that, that you can survive some of the traumatic things in life when you get dumped. Well, you know what? I recouped. I rose up and thought, you know what? Where there's a will, there's a way. And I started liking Rachel Will. 
And here we are, hon. 52 years of happy, married bliss. I mean, you know, for the most part. I better go back over to this side. <laughs> oh, I knew when I married Rachel, she wasn't valedictorian, but I, I thought she was pretty cute. Don't look at me that way. She couldn't have been valedictorian and picked me. But she was cute. I still think she is, so I'm trying to make up. Do you, under, do you realize that? It's not working. <laughs> but for Naaman, his leprosy defined him. I wonder what battles, I wonder what personal battles Naaman fought over his leprosy. Sometimes, and sometimes young people, fight battles that I'll be honest with you, some of us that are older don't fully understand. Battles of loneliness. You can be all alone when you're in a crowd. Sometimes battles of rejection. I, I know a teenage girl that shared with, I think, my wife a while back, immaterial who, but a teenage girl that Almost seems funny, but yet, if you knew the girl, very sensitive, very good girl, but one of her best friends, I don't think met any harm or any hurt to her, but simply in talking together, the girl said, and called her by name, their good friend said, oh, you're okay, just your nose is pretty big. Well, to a girl... You know, to a girl, you don't want your nose to be too big. And to a girl that's struggling a little bit with her self-esteem and going through a little bit of a gangly teenage years because young people, I don't know if you've found that out or not, maybe some of you have never been gangly. But some of us went through some times when it was acne and skin problems and skinny and maybe opposite of skinny and, and times when we'd look in the mirror and we didn't like what we saw. And so we thought everybody else won't like what we see. And, and it's a cruel trick of the devil to come and taunt you about your appearance or about your outward look. I mean that. Because just look around, I mean, just look around, what a variety we have, and I, I, frankly, I'm glad. I'm glad not everybody's shaped like you. See, that's a kind of awful statement, that, like the girl made, your nose is big. I don't think she even meant harm, but the devil used that to oppress that girl and make her feel that Everybody looked at her that way and thought she's unlovely, unattractive. And she really struggled. Thankfully, I think we, we know that girl well enough to know that the Lord's helped her to come out of that. And she's got some good friends that have... And, and even maybe the one that said it is they're still her good friend. But I'm just saying that 
I wonder what battles Naaman fought. How much did all the accolades mean when you cut to the chase and you had to admit, I'm a leper? I'm a dying man amongst my countrymen. Well, in a sense, we all are, of course, but because of his disease. But what I wanted to get to, and it's just different, I guess, the way I felt it today than I've ever really preached it, is that in that first verse, God's straightforward with us. He says, now Naaman was captain of the host of the king of Syria. I mean, he was a man that led men, led men into battle. He was a man's man. He was a great man with his master, and he was honorable. God had given him victory on the battlefield. He was a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. But Naaman's story in the Bible wouldn't be there, but for two things. One, he was a leper. And two, somebody really, really cared about that. And it's almost shocking the surprise as to who that somebody was. Oh, I think a lot of people that liked Naaman would have cared and sympathized And perhaps even expressed it. Unless out of courtesy they just simply ignored it and didn't mention it. But Naaman lived with it day and night. It progressed in his life. I liken it. I liken it to sin. That sometimes no matter what people think of you and how good They might look your way and say, oh, you're doing good. You're going to make it. But you know, you know on the inside there's something that shouldn't be. Sin never thinks it's going to get caught. So it hides. It covers up sometimes with a lot of good appearance and good deed. Yet we know, because I lived that way through most of my teen years. I was popular to a degree in school because I'd worked at it and made the ball team. And back where I come from, if you made the basketball team or one of the sports teams, you were popular. You'd made it. And I'd shot enough baskets in the hay mail that I could at least make the team. Businessmen on our main street of Westfield knew who I was. I was Harold and Hazel's boy. They'd compliment me. They'd, they'd tell me, Harry, your, your dad and mom are proud of you. You're a good boy. And Joe Abramson never had a clue. 
And I'm ashamed to even say it, but never had a clue that one day I slipped, a, of all things, a slingshot, Tom, off his store shelf into my gym bag. Didn't have security cameras in those days and barcodes that would ring when you go out the door. Mr. Averson would have had no reason, Leonard, to have questioned me. And I can still remember the guilt looking around in case somebody saw me, and nobody did. I can still remember going out the door of his store and looking up and down the street a block in case somebody way up there somehow because I had a guilty conscience and the wicked flee when no man pursueth. Nobody had seen me. I'd got away with I never got caught. As a thief, I never got caught. I don't mean that as a boast. I'm just saying I never got caught by man. But God had my number. God had every transaction. And it didn't matter whether I was considered honorable and a great man or even a, a brave man, a Naaman. It had to be say at the footnote of my life, but he was a leper. He was a thief. He was a sinner. So I know what it is to pillow my head at night and regardless of my reputation, feel the guilt. Regret it. But not have a clue what to do about it. How do you reckon it? How do you write it? How do you change it? You can make New Year's type resolutions. But my will was never strong enough as a teenager to resist for long what had become the habits of my sin. And I was getting desperate and wondered, does anybody care? But he was a leper. But the next couple of verses give explanation to the rest of the story. That the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away a captive out of the land of Israel. Here it is. A little maid. I reckon a, a young person on youth night, a, a young person brought away captive out of the land of Israel and she waited on Naaman's wife. She had an inside track concerning the leprosy of Naaman. She saw how he lived in the home and heard what was said there. She heard things and saw things were, that were not on the public record concerning the leper. 
but she cared. She cared. To me, the true miracle of Naaman's story in the Bible and ultimate healing when he dipped the seven times in Canaan, in, in, the, in the river, and was healed. The true remedy began in the heart of a little girl that had faith in God. A teenager, perhaps, that could make the difference in the life of this man. Because she simply saw him. And I thought of her when you guys sang, not what I wish to be, nor where I wish to go. If anybody had a right tonight in this service, it would be the little girl that I was going to reference in regards to Naaman the leper that could sing that song that that they sang tonight. I'm not where I want to be. I'm here against my will. I'm a captive girl. I'm a, as you were, a slave girl. I'm a servant girl. But what amazes me, people, tonight is that God can come to a young person and even when they are torn in the situation that they call their own, God can be real to you. God was real enough to her that when Brother Todd, she had every reason to be bitter. Every reason for her nighttime prayers to be, oh God, bring judgment on Naaman and on this people for my people's sake and my home's sake. Had every reason to say life has been unfair to me. That I'm down here. I can't go to a revival. I can't be home for Thanksgiving. I can't see my loved ones. I wait on Naaman's wife in Naaman's house. And Naaman's the leader of the, of the bunch that came and took me away. And now he has leprosy. And if he would be like some of us would tend to be, he'd be... She would have been rejoicing that God was bringing judgment on Naaman. And who am I to say that maybe perhaps God wasn't doing something like that? But if he was, he put a little girl that had genuine compassion in her heart that she simply one day said to her mistress, would my Lord, I'm paraphrasing, but would my Lord go back down to, to our place? Find the man of God. Because being in touch with God, he can recover him of his leprosy. You tell me that it's not the great grace of God that can come and impart and embed itself in the heart of a little captive maid, a youth, that she's concerned enough about a leprous master that she simply makes the suggestion.
go back to the prophet can recover him of his leprosy. I wanted to bring that thought out to remind us that when God is generous enough, when God is caring enough that he'll take the most inconspicuous amongst us a little captive youth of a maid to make a statement that who in the world would have thought carried any credibility? What, what would be her credentials? Where, where could you give any credibility to what that little maid said? Now, I know sometimes when you're sick enough, you'll grab at anything. And I'm not making fun of anybody that does. You'll grab at anything. I had, I had, numbers of years ago, I had prostate cancer, and I had all kinds of friends. And they were friends, but I had all kinds. Everywhere I'd go, I had somebody, if they didn't come to me, they caught my wife to the side and said, if, if he'd eat this. They would have had me eating stuff. They would have had me sniffing stuff. They would have had me applying stuff. They would have had me going places to be healed. And basically where I went was surgery. <laughs> I did, but I had people that cared. And I knew they cared. Well, Alan, I remember I was in Florida... We had healing service at our camp. And when camp was over, I was going to go to ministerial. I was in conference leadership then. Going to go from camp to ministerial, and then I was scheduled for surgery. And we always had a healing service at Sun City. Neat thing about the healing. They still have it. Neat thing about it down in Florida, they're all elderly people, my kind. So you have so many people need to be healed, you have nobody to do the anointing. <laughs> but we'd get all the preachers together that were there, and they'd take turns, and always the altar would be lined, and the front seats would be lined, and we'd go through and pray, and pray as sincere as we know, because we know, don't we? We do know God can heal. Amen. And when we got all done, we was at the end of of the row, and I was the last one, Brother Tom. It was my turn to be anointed, and I wanted to be, and they wanted to anoint me. They were friends, and we tried to believe God, and I got down, and it was Brother Wambach. If any of you ever remembered Brother Martin Wambach, it was his turn to anoint. <laughs> I'll never forget. He's going to anoint me, and he anoints. He doesn't put some on his finger and touch your forehead. He pours. And he pours while he prays. And he prays long. And he poured. We had a big, big thing of anointing oil. He poured. And it began to run off my nose. And down my neck. And you forgive me. I'm not making light of that. I'm not. Because, but I, I got tickled. 
I can be serious once in a while, even if you don't believe it. But Brother Joel, I got tickled. And I can, I can remember saying, you know, I'm down there and I got tickled a little bit and was shaking a little. And Brother, I, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, you know, you know I believe that you can heal. And I know this is serious, but this is funny. <laughs> and Brother Wambach thought I was blessed and he kept praying and pouring and... <laughs> and then when I come to ministerial, the fellows right at the end of ministerial that year, because I was in, a, in, I think two days later, I was to go into surgery in Williamsport, or Evan, and they prayed for me. And uh, a couple of the guys came and said, well, Brother Plank, you know, we believe in God, you ought to get another test. But I'd had a couple tests. I'd had a second opinion from John Hopkins, and they agreed with the first opinion. It was serious enough I needed to have the surgery. My doctor was on me, my schedule was tight, and I said, oh, I've got to go through with it, and I did. I'm taking a little time with it, but uh, I went back for checkups after the surgery, and of course went through everything. I finally, got a, I finally had a surgery. I always wanted to have a surgery. Brother Watson was kind of my hero, and he always had all these scars, and he'd take and pull his sleeve up and poke a f uh, pencil through his arm. There was a hole in his arm, remember that, where there should have been a muscle. He poked because of his injury, and oh, I wanted something like that. But with my surgery, I couldn't do anything like that. But anyway, I went back for checkups, and and months later, with every, everything clear, everything good, Dr. Bangdia said, I've got to tell you something. Got to tell you something. He said, I've never had this happen in my practice, ever. But it's just protocol that when we have surgery, we send everything away to be sure we've got it, that it hasn't got into the lymph glands, something like that. And he said, when we sent yours away, there's no cancer. Nothing. Tom, I guess I'm the only one that ever got healed and elected to go through with the surgery. I told him, I said, well, you know, they prayed for me and I believe God healed me. And he did. God healed me, obviously. And I didn't know it. And so I went ahead just for the fun of it <laughs> to have the surgery. But I wonder if Naaman ever thought, and we're, we're about to close, does anybody care? But who would have ever guessed it? Who would have ever written it into the script? A little captive house servant spoke up and said, Would my Lord go back home to the prophet? He'd recover him of his leprosy. Of course, she meant God would through him. And somebody carried that to the king. And I don't know if you ever wonder at the tremendous hand of God on something like, I guess I think of it sometimes, but when you read that simple story, Larry Shuey, it doesn't make sense to me that the king would take the suggestion of a little servant girl, but it resonated enough 
that he said, go, go. I'll send a letter, go. They went first to the king, wrong place. But through it all, if we took time to read the scripture, he got to the prophets. The servant of the prophet come out and told him what to do. He was angered because he thought it ought to be something spectacular. It ought to be something difficult. It ought ought to be something grand to come that far to, to recover a man of his leprosy. It can't be as simple as wading out into a muddy river and dunking. Haven't we learned to a degree down across the years with our varied experiences with God that when God tells you to do something, you do it. And if you'll do it, and always if God tells you to do something, it's within your capabilities. You can do it. But if you'll do what God tells you to do, He'll recover you. Whether it's your leprosy, whether it's your cancer, whether it's your sorrow and grief, some of you are going through such, such deep waters right now. And some of us want to feel with you and want to help comfort you and give you courage, but we're as weak as you are. But there's one that when he steps up to our side, it's almost unexplainable. But when God steps up to our side, little is much when God is in it. Out of weakness, he ordains strength. He gives us what we need in the hour that we need it. You can trust him. Young people, you can grow up. You can advance. You can break up with your girlfriend. Remember, Although I don't know any other wills, but where there's a will, there's a way. You can make it. God can take care of your need. The story of Naaman is only there because of a leper. And because of a little girl that cared. Young people whether you realize it or not, if you'll serve God, he'll use you in just as definite and definitive a way as he did that little girl. We don't even know her name, but we know it was her face that took a mighty big man to a humbling experience that restored his health entirely. And we have a great God that can use some of these young people. And there'll be a leper down that gutter. There'll be a leper out there in that housing project. There'll be a leper down there in that place. And they might be the one that cares enough that it's their prayer or their deed or their effort that God will someday use. Because young people, you're a very, very, very important part
of this church or whichever church you're from tonight. Very important part and how we need you. Keep true to God. Keep true to God. Let God make and mold you. He, it's exciting to think what he can do, even with you. Even with you. Praise God. Let's stand.